Welcome to Matters of Fact. I'm Christian Esguera. Now today on the program, we're going to talk about the consistencies and inconsistencies with the way the Philippine National Police has been implementing the different quarantine restrictions, especially following the extension of the enhanced community quarantine in Metro Manila and four other provinces. As we all know, a man died after he was allegedly made to do strenuous physical exercises as punishment for allegedly violating curfew in General Trias Cavite. There will be no public address by President Rodrigo Duterte this week after over a hundred members of his security detail contracted COVID-19. Duterte's weekly talk to the people was supposed to happen on Wednesday, but the spokesman Harry Roque said they had to cancel in light of the rising number of active COVID-19 cases. Roque added the physical safety of the president remains their utmost concern and that they also wanted to protect the staff involved in staging the televised speech. The Presidential Security Group recently tallied 126 coronavirus infections, 45 of which remain active. But PSG Commander Jesus Durante assures the public none of them had direct contact with the president and that the chief executive is safe and is in good health. An undisclosed number of PSG personnel were already inoculated last year using COVID-19 vaccines from Chinese state firm Sinopharm. Now, Philippine Senator Christopher Bongo releases photos of President Rodrigo Duterte amid questions on the president's whereabouts and health. In a Facebook post, Go post, posted pictures of himself with Duterte, but did not say when and where they were taken. He also told the president's detractors not to celebrate, saying Duterte was focused on his work. The police chief of General Trias Cavite, Marlo Solero, and two other police officers have been relieved from their posts following the death of uh, Darren Peña Redondo. Peña Redondo died after being forced to do intense physical exercise as punishment for supposedly violating the city's curfew. Village watchmen apprehended him as he was about to buy water. The Cavite police has also revised its policy on curfew violators because of the incident. We will no longer accommodate any uh, uh, arrested curfew uh, violators from the barangay. Advice namin sa barangay, no more arrest for corporate violators. Instead, ihatid na lang ito sa kanilang mga bahay. Police Lieutenant uh, Colonel Marlos Solero denies imposing physical exercise as punishment for curfew violators. The Human Rights Commission will conduct its own investigation into the incident. We are now joined by the spokesman of the Philippine National Police, Brigadier General Ildebrandi Osana. Good morning, sir, and thank you for joining us on the program. Good morning, sir, Christian. Thank you for having me. Okay, first, let's talk about the uh, the, the status of uh, the uh, police chief of General Trias Cavite. I understand he has been relieved, along with two other police officers involved in that incident. Now, where are they now? Uh, right now, sir, they are placed under the custody of the provincial director based in uh, General Pantalion Dumlao in Imos Cavite. Um, that is part of the administrative sanctions. It is considered as administrative relief pending the investigation that is being also handled by the provincial director. So the investigation is being conducted by the provincial director. And when is this uh, investigation ex uh, expected to be completed? 
we're expecting that this will be facilitated quite soon by the provincial director to be submitted, of course, to the regional director for appropriate uh, uh, action. Now, given the nature of the incident, uh, what would be uh, the the end result of this in case they they, they, they are found to have uh, violated certain policies by the Philippine National Police? Because in the end, a man died. Well, that is something that we need to connect in so far as the acts committed by the police officers. Allegedly, uh, two witnesses were saying that indeed the physical exercises uh, were done on them that resulted uh, probably in the death of Mr. Darren Peña Redondo. Uh, but in so far as the, the act itself, uh, we wouldn't even say that that is outright uh, wrongfully done by police officers because for a while, uh, a number of police officers would rather consider this as part of uh, making our people understand the implication of the COVID-19. That's why they have these people undergo the physical exercises. But as a form of punishment, definitely this is not being considered because uh, there are ordinances that should be the basis of our police officers to put into effect whatever punishment that they may impose on erring violators. So, so when are certain curfew violators uh, given that, that, that um, punishment, for lack of a better word, uh, through physical exercises? When, when is that allowed? Well, we Let's say it's not a form of punishment. Let's say someone was uh, was caught uh, outside of his house during curfew. Uh, a police officer can make him do push-ups. Is that correct? Well, uh, let us assume that there are ordinances being uh, imposed by the local government units and the police officers are tasked to enforce this. Um, and part of the ordinances are options for the violators to choose from in terms of uh, not uh, finding themselves uh, placed behind bars because that may also be part of the consequences. Uh, maybe in a number of occasions, similar to what happened last year, instead of maybe bringing them behind bars, they might as well choose uh, uh, getting into some physical exercises and they'll be released afterwards. But as a form of punishment, this is not being uh, considered because the, the police officers have, have no authority to do that as well, uh, especially to the civilians. So. Uh, well, from our end, insofar as the implementation of ECQ is concerned, we are only requiring police officers, those who are conducting checkpoints, to just simply warn. And if there are ordinances that require these violators to pay fines, then they will be fined. And then maybe some seminars uh, along the way. But uh, for them to be arrested, the GPNP himself uh, already instructed our police officers not to do so because that would be tantamount to, you know, being counterproductive to addressing the concerns of these violators. So the implementation of the policy as far as the Philippine National Police is concerned has to be consistent with what the specific ordinance says? That's right, sir. That's right. Uh, it is so, the local government units that give flesh to whatever sanctions that may be imposed on violators of the ECQ. Now, of course, the Philippine National Police uh, is tasked to implement these policies uh, let's just talk about Metro Manila and the four other provinces nearby. So do you see any, consist uh, any consistency or inconsistency when it comes to these policies as to, let's say, what to do with a certain uh, curfew violator? Well, uh, it, probably if we could relate what the guidelines coming from IAPF are being provided to 
the local government units, each of the LGUs would uh, rather consider this on the basis of uh, resolution coming from the Sangunian. Um, of course, uh, that depends on each city uh, from one place to another, of course. And uh, maybe fines would also have differentiation in terms of the amount that may be paid for by the violators. And some cities are uh, relatively uh, providing ease in terms of uh, allowing the movement of travelers. But there are also some that are so strict with regard to the enforcement requirement. So all these vary from one place to another. But at the end of the day, it will be dependent on whatever ordinances that are being imposed by the local government and enforced by the police officers. Okay, but but how strictly do you monitor the 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 um, the the cascading of these guidelines uh, to the precinct level, for instance, to the station, to the police station, uh, to, to to make sure that the police officers who are going to implement those policies really understand uh, down to the last letter uh, the how, how the policy is supposed to be implemented on the ground. Usually, uh, prior to the deployment, uh, there is this pre-deployment briefing done by the team leader uh, for the police officers to understand uh, the intricacies of enforcing whatever ordinances that are in place in their uh, constituencies. And uh, of course, in general, what we have to ensure is that the, the people are compliant with the minimum health and uh, safety protocols, social distancing included, that's the reason out of our um, efforts, there are about 30,000 uh, violators have already been uh, caught. Uh, and the violations vary from not wearing face masks, not wearing face shield, uh, violating social distancing, even mass gathering and all that. And there were also violators who engage in public drinking as well as illegal cockfighting and all that. So how do you prevent the the, uh, the possibility of police abuse? Because uh, we've been hearing anecdotal uh, uh, stories regarding this, that even if there are clear policies as far as the ordinances are concerned, if you talk about how they are being implemented by the police officers, there are, there might be certain cases where the police officer might feel that he could do this, he could impose this because he's the person in authority at that particular moment uh, on the ground. That's the reason the GPNP himself, based on the instruction of the president as well, that there must be no arrests to be made, except, of course, on certain crime-related uh, operations. Uh, last year, we learned our lessons. We have had enough of the controversies that involve a number of our police officers. And this year, the GPNP wanted that uh, arrests should be out of the question. Uh, there must only be either warning or fines to be imposed. Uh, depending, of course, on the LGU requirement. And uh, there were instances, however, that Parangay Thanos turned over these uh, violators to the police officers. But the requirement, of course, is there must be no requirement on staying put for a number of hours because that is also tantamount to putting into custody that person. Mm. But are they supposed to do that in the first place? The village watchmen, the Barangay Tanod? Are they supposed to turn over violators to the Philippine National Police? Well, supposedly, it is a barangay-level kind of intervention. The enforcement must be at the level of the barangay talent. But uh, somehow, they would rather turn over the violators to the custody of the police. And so one thing led to another. Supposedly, upon verification, they must be released right away. I mean, I'm referring to the violators. So the police shouldn't even take uh, 
uh, much time to consider the the custody of uh, of the violators for a longer period of time. But is that a clear policy as far as the Philippine National Police is concerned? And uh, why don't we remind the police officers regarding that, that they're not to, supposed to receive uh, any supposed violator turned over to them by the, by the village watchman? That is exactly what the chief of police and maybe the provincial directors have actually been told, that uh, even if these uh, violators are being turned over to, by, by the barangay tanods, they should rather advise the Barangay Tanos to exercise already that uh, policy or discretion under the required ordinances, and they just have to release right away the, the, the violators themselves. So this is one thing probably that we could reiterate to our uh, police personnel, particularly the chief of police, to reiterate that requirement. Okay. Another concern, General Usana, is that uh, even if you have uh, policies on paper, the options that can be given to a supposed violator of, let's say, uh, any quarantine policy. There are also incidents, uh, reported incidents, where, for instance, a police officer, even if he's not uh, supposed to arrest a person, could make an excuse to arrest that person by saying that, let's say, he did not committed, uh, he did not commit a specific violation, let's say, curfew, but another violation, perhaps not related to. Um, to, to the to the quarantine protocols, but if that person, let's say, objects to the idea of being arrested uh, for something else that he thought he didn't do, the police officer could just say, "You're resisting arrest." So that's that in itself is a violation. How do you deal with such situations? Well, for a number of times this has been happening, we just have to probably um, advise our police officers to have that maximum tolerance. Uh, prudence as well as uh, being calm in any and all situations of that uh, nature. However, if there are indeed uh, individual persons who really are bent on challenging police officers, uh, under no compunction, of course, that our police officers will have to exercise their authority. Uh, after all, uh, it is their word against the word of the other party that must be the basis of the court once the Police officers also filed the action against uh, the erring, uh, alleged uh, individual who committed certain offenses in, in front of them. Yeah, because it's important to understand this uh, this discussion that we're having now in the context of preventing any police abuse, especially during this time, because we're dealing with a much bigger problem. So, so, so the last thing that we would want is to have our law enforcers to add to the problem of dealing with this pandemic by let's say committing certain abuses so in this case for instance how the the the, the situation that you're talking about of course uh, is presumed under a situation where our police officers are all professionals right but you mentioned the the incidents last year and that somehow affected the credibility of the philippine national police and how the public has been looking at the pnp in terms of implementing this specific guidelines under the uh, uh the pandemic here in the philippines but can you honestly say that that this there is somehow a prevailing culture of uh, professionalism uh, that that these police officers can indeed uh, implement maximum tolerance uh, as far as the implementation is concerned? Well, um, maybe one of the barometers, of course, is what uh, transpired during Christmas time. The police officers were required to carry franchons or rattan, and um, any. There was no single case thrown at any of our police officers saying that they violated or they may have abused their authority using the truncheon itself. 
and uh, we we survived this uh, um, perception coming from the public itself. And over the last week, during the first week of implementation of the ACQ, not a single case as well was thrown against police officers. It's only lately that uh, we learned of this particular case involving the General Trias Police. And uh, the provincial director, Cavite, took action right away. He went out of his way to check uh, personally from any of the witnesses available. And good enough that he was able to get two of them. And as a result, he relieved the chief of police. So this is our way of saying that we never conduct, condone any acts uh, that are inimical to the best interests of our people insofar as this one is concerned. Okay, you said that last year, um, since last year, more around 30,000 violators have been apprehended uh, during the, uh, only, during the only pandemic. Only this ECQ, sir. Only this ECQ period. O only, only this ECQ? 30,000 violators, sir. Yes. Ito lang ECQ natin? Tung yes, two sir. Weeks? That's right. Opo. Wow, and dami, di ba? So 30,000 violators. So they also have a number as to the police officers who are facing, let's say, complaints in in whatever level, let's say, just within the Philippine National Police or even the NAPOLCOM uh, regarding certain alleged abuses in the implementation of this policy. Well, we haven't had any uh, information yet, but uh, it's a classic case right, right now that uh, the higher-ups took action on the case of General Diaz. We took initially the word of the chief of police saying that uh, they never imposed uh, the physical exercises. But it was the provincial director of Cavite himself uh, uh, who had the time to get the information right away from the witnesses themselves. So uh, as a result, they were relieved. Now, if we are to consider the act of the two police officers for having imposed these physical exercises, maybe from the point of view of the civilians having violated uh, certain regulations, they would rather consider taking the exercise themselves because that is good for their uh, physical uh, attribute. But uh, if we are to consider filing an action, that's another story because there are ordinances that will provide them uh, maybe paying a higher fine or otherwise uh, requiring them to take community service instead. Uh, rather than be placed behind bars. So if that option of physical exercise is included in a specific ordinance, for instance, uh, a person can, 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 can go for that option? Is that what you're saying? That's right, sir. Because it is the judge himself that would probably ask uh, any of the options that may be made available for the offender to consider. And uh, okay. well, of course, we are not anticipating that physical exercises would be one. But the most common would be community service. Mm -hmm. But of course, you also have to understand the situation on the ground. Let's say a, a, an alleged curfew violator. Let's say he's apprehended by by village watchmen and turned over to the police. You know the situation. You have persons in authority dealing with you at that particular moment. That in itself is quite strenuous for you as a person who was apprehended, right? So let's say... What are the options for that person? Can, can, he, can he tell the police officer, let's say that police officer told him, do 100 push-ups, otherwise I'll send you to jail. Well, can he tell the police officer that, that you're not supposed to do that because that is not part of the policy of the Philippine National Police? I mean, you, you see the disparity in terms of the situation, right? 
you're dealing with an ordinary person and a person uh, in authority. So what are the options available to that ordinary person apprehended? Well, that is already um, tantamount to going beyond the authority so far as the acts committed by our police officers. But there is another element, which is the role of the barangay panels. As we were saying, we're just assisting the barangays in uh, you know, exercising their role within their constituents. So I guess what uh, that particular case is uh, lesson learned. Uh, the barangay panels should also have learned, as far as their role is concerned, they should not have turned over uh, the violators to the police because that is another layer for and we would not want that our police officers would also exercise something that is beyond their authority. Okay, Brigadier General Ildebrandi Usana, thank you very much for joining us this morning, sir. My pleasure, sir. Thank you. The Philippine Health Department warns against dispensing the antiparasitic drug ivermectin to treat COVID-19. The agency says this is not only illegal but risky since there's no assurance that unregistered drugs are safe. This comes as Portalist lawmaker Mike Defensor insists he's not violating any law by offering to give Quezon City residents free access to ivermectin. He also urges health officials to be proactive in finding solutions to the pandemic. The most important law no, that is being violated uh, for this uh, supposed dispensing of ivermectin no, is the RA9711. Ito yung FDA Act of 2009. And specific to that law, sinabi mismo na yung mga hindi rehistradong gamot, hindi natin pwedeng ipagamit sa ating mga kababayan. Both the World Health, Health Organization and the U.S. Food and Drug Administration do not recommend the use of ivermectin to treat COVID-19 patients. The European Medicines Agency is also warning against the drug. Even Ivermectin's manufacturer has said its analysis does not support the drug's safety and efficacy for COVID-19. We are joined by Dr. Anna Ong Lim on this issue. We're going to talk about Ivermectin and what, is the, what are the risks involved uh, in terms of taking this drug for COVID-19. She's an infectious diseases specialist and a member of the steering committee of the Health Professionals Alliance Against COVID-19. Good morning, Dr. Lim, and thank you for joining us again on the program. Good morning, Christian. Okay, again, I think it's very important for experts like you to, to keep reminding the people about the risks of uh, any unregistered drugs, especially for use against COVID-19 in the wake of all this uh, misinformation or even disinformation floating around. So let's start with the basics here. What is ivermectin and what is it supposed to do? What is that for? Ivermectin is actually a drug that's been known to medicine for a very long time. And uh, its main purpose is actually to be used for parasitic infections. No? It's called an anti-helminthic, meaning it works against um, worms. It's a deworming agent. And uh, it has uh, specific uses, uh, which have been proven scientifically, which include um, a disease called river blindness. It's something that's found in Africa. And there's also um, several um, other parasitic infections that it works against. Um, it is a drug that's both that's used both for people and for animals. And um, currently, in the Philippine setting, the registered drug is the one that is a veterinary preparation, meaning it's intended for animal use. Here in the Philippines. So here in, in the, the Philippines, Philippines yes. it's not supposed to be taken by humans. 
based on the current registration um, documents, yes. But if you go elsewhere outside the Philippines, there are ivermectin drugs available for humans, but antiparasitic yes. pa rin. Yes, there are. No, particularly okay. in those countries where uh, the diseases I mentioned are very prevalent, um, those countries actually use ivermectin, uh, particularly for those parasitic infections. Okay, again, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll speak in Filipino for those who are watching. Yes. So in mm-hmm. the Philippines, ivermectin ginagamit sa hayop. Veterinary. Correct, no? so, Hindi pang ito yung tao mga, sa okay. Correct. Ito yung mga registradong produkto. No? And uh, to be fair, there is an, an application now for registration of a human product which was lodged, I think, last week. Okay. Now, talk to us about the mechanism of ivermectin as an antiparasitic drug and can that be used to treat viral infections, for instance? Um, actually, the excitement came when a paper was published last year, about this time last year in April actually, uh, from a group in Australia. And they were doing laboratory studies about uh, ivermectin and its effect on uh, the virus itself. And they saw that in their laboratory studies, it seemed that ivermectin was able to decrease the number of um viruses that reproduce over a certain period of time. So typically naman, uh, ang mga gamot, ganun talaga ang product development. Sinisimulan muna yan sa laboratory studies, then it progresses to animal and eventually human studies. And they felt, no, this group felt that it was quite encouraging and worth pursuing. Mm. But is that conclusive, the finding? Well, unfortunately not. No? Uh, marami talagang mga gamot na gano'n ang pinagsisimulan. Quite exciting at the start, pero pagka tinitignan mo na siya ng mas masusi, um, may mga makikitang evidence na hindi pala pwedeng gamitin sa tao, no? either for safety or efficacy reasons. So, so far, what do the data say about ivermectin as a possible treatment for COVID-19? May mga pag-aaral na ginawa. There are actually numerous studies. And um, there are there seem to be no indications that it will work or that it might work. The problem with these studies is that um, they're either conducted on very small populations or conducted on populations of different groups of patients or they could be done in conjunction with other treatments. So it's very difficult to isolate the impact or the effect of ivermectin alone. So lumped Mm. together, those studies are actually described as having low quality. And therefore, you need to be able to improve the methodology of the study so that you get more conclusive results. And logically, if the uh, results are not uh, conclusive, if there are questions regarding the sample size, for instance, the low quality of the studies, what are people supposed to do? Should they jump already at the opportunity of taking this unproven drug for COVID-19? Well, of course, we always want to have very good evidence before we start using any intervention. And unfortunately for this drug, um, the quality of the evidence precludes us from uh, recommending it, no? That's why uh, maraming mga world authorities, health authorities na nagsasabi, uh, wag muna, tignan muna natin yung mga resulta ng mga trials kasi ano ba yung gustong gawin itong gamot na to? Dalawang aspect eh. There are some people who are saying that it can help prevent, so it's prophylactic. 
there's some people who can say who say it can treat or treatment no and for both um, uh, purposes the evidence is not sufficient so dahil meron naman tayong ibang pwedeng gamitin na uh, mas may magandang pruweba bakit hindi yun ang bigyan natin ng panahon ng resources at yun ang ating ipagamit And is it, uh, isn't it any wonder that uh, we have vaccines already available? Again, let's not talk about the, the the slow pace of the vaccination program in the Philippines. But there are already vaccines available and we just need to wait and they have their proven efficacies. But in the meantime, there's a good number of people uh, seemingly open to taking an unproven drug for COVID-19, either as treatment or prophylaxis. And there are certain people promoting that aggressively. I mean, how do they explain that? You have a vaccine with proven efficacy. You have a drug that is unproven with shaky or even perhaps shady uh, basis for, for treatment or prophylaxis. How do you explain that as far as uh, mentality is concerned? Yes, it's a very difficult situation, Christian. You actually hit the nail on the head. Um, I, I think that ivermectin or any drug any intervention is actually more of a symptom than the actual disease. It's really a sign no, that people are so frustrated, people are really afraid, and there's good reason to be because the numbers keep rising. And so I think if people realize that that's what we're trying to address, no, the frustration and the fear, then we can be more objective in terms of how we're addressing this and maybe figure out um, something that has more evidence and more proof so that um, our interventions become more rational as well. Mm-hmm. But again, but again that's, that's quite alarming, right? Because based on the latest uh, Pulse Asia survey, 61% of the respondents said they're not open to getting vaccinated for COVID-19. In the meantime, you're seeing these anecdotal accounts of people seemingly open to ivermectin. I myself has received a query from a friend asking whether would ivermectin be okay as prophylactic, prophylaxis yeah. against, I mean, <laughs> you go by the data, you listen to the experts like you, not to the politicians who are aggressively promoting this for whatever reason. I mean, isn't that quite frustrating? How do you think that could complicate our pandemic response if you have people like this? Well, Christian, specifically for the issue on vaccination, I think that's really quite sad not to be quoting statistics that are showing really high numbers of people who seem to be hesitant. Um, I think the only thing or one of the things that we can keep on doing is really just educate people because um, when we talk about people who refuse to take vaccines i i i know there's a gradient no it's not everybody who is really dogmatic against it there are some people who have specific issues that they want to be addressed and if we reach that prop population then we might be able to impact on their numbers and decrease that to a more manageable level and that needs to be uh, emphasized it needs to be done because we know that what we're after is not just protecting individuals we have to protect the whole population or a significant proportion of the population otherwise this campaign won't work we need to hit the herd immunity threshold for everybody to benefit from the vaccination program Okay, now talk to us about the risks of taking ivermectin as prophylaxis. Let's say, iniisip ng mga tao, ayoko magkaroon ng COVID, iinom ako nito. What are the risks? So, um, it's good to emphasize that also, Christian, because um, maybe people think that, eh, 
minsan ko lang naman to iinumin once a week lang. There are some protocols that recommend that. Ano ba naman ang masama niyan sa akin? Kaysa tuturukan mo ako ng bakuna na hindi pa rin sigurado. Maybe that's what's running through people's minds. no? But we have to realize that even for the approved indications or the reasons for which there is proof for this drug, It's only taken once uh, on a yearly basis or for very heavy infestations, very heavy worm load. It's recommended as a once every three months um, uh, drug protocol. So, um, meron ding risks for toxicity as with any drug. Mm-hmm. So, ginagamit siya pag maraming bulate ang isang tao? Well, bulate oh, as a very all-inclusive... Well, yes. And also as a very all-inclusive term, no? kasi hindi naman lahat ng worms or bulate okay. tinatalaban ng gamot na ito. Yes. Okay. So, pe- pero yun ang specific use niya. So, let's say, yes, wala ka namang ganang situation, hindi ka, wala ka sa ganang sitwasyon, uh, walang massive lo- load of worms in your body, but you took that as prophylactic, thinking that this could help for COVID-19. What right. are the other risks? Diba? You mentioned toxicity as in any other drug. Diba? Yes. Let's say, may epekto ba ito sa puso mo, for instance? Um, yung known, tex- known toxicities nitong gamot na to include um, effects on the kidney and the liver. So mm-hmm. even for those people who really need to take this medication, yun ang precaution. No? Tinitignan kung kaya ba ng, metab- ng pagproseso ng katawan nila, specifically yung um, uh, atay at saka yung kanilang bato, kung kakayanin yung gamot. Okay. Let's go to the other ano, the, the other situation. Diba? So isa prophylactic para daw hindi sila tamaan ng COVID-19. Again, a false belief, no? Pero those who are desperate for treatment, not exactly cure. Let's say severe case of COVID-19. And then the, 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 the patient got wind of this Australian study. Tapos sinabi niya, bigyan niyo na sa akin to, Doc, baka naman makatulong. And perhaps the doctor was even open. Can that be used as an option? Yung tinatawag na compassionate use. Okay. So yun na nga ngayon yung tinatrabaho, no, Christian? Um, I, I have to say, no, people need to understand that the, the reason why FDA came out very strongly at the start is because there really were no registered products and kailangan registrado yung produkto kasi kung hindi nangyayari yun, paano naman tayo ma-assure as consumers na ito ay ligtas at mabisa? Kasi... Um, kung kung saan-saan lang nanggagaling yung gamot, hindi makikita ng FDA kung ito ba ay ginawa under quality-controlled circumstances and that can pose a danger in itself. Now, assuming na lang na meron ng registradong produkto and that should be coming along pretty soon no? kasi nag-file ng registration noong March 31, yung um, indication or yung dahilan kung papaano or kung bakit siya nakarehistro is still for the approved indications, meaning para dun sa um, parasitic infections. Now, bilang doktor, Pagka may produktang rehistrado, pwede kang magreseta even for other indications. Paninindigan mo lang. Ibig sabihin, kung okay. ako, no nakita ko na mayroong pasyenteng may COVID of whatever severity at naniniwala ako dun sa nakikita ko dun sa literature, pwede ko siyang ireseta, sasabihin ko, ito gagamitin mo for COVID. Pero kung may mangyari dun sa pasyente, sakutin ko dapat yon. Correct. Now, as a doctor, you mentioned yung, of course, you are a doctor, no? pero I'm curious about your sentiment, your, your feeling about this na You are the expert here, but you hear a lot of people aggressively promoting ivermectin against COVID-19. Parang ano'y pumapasok sa isip nyo whenever you see people doing this aggressive promotion, including the politicians. But in fact, they're not doctors, but, they're do- but they can be even more influential to the public compared to you. 
well, to be honest, it's very frustrating, Christian, uh, because um, we know that drugs are prescribed for specific reasons, and um, the person who needs to pres- who prescribes it should be knowledgeable about the indications or the reasons for why they're prescribed, and um, should be responsible, no, for um, choosing the correct patient the correct disease, the correct dose, at the correct time. And um, that knowledge is not uh, available readily. And in fact, like, for example, for myself, no, I deal with pediatrics. I would not dare prescribe anything for an adult patient because I'm simply not updated enough. No? So kung doktor nag-aalangan mag-reseta para sa uh, specialty na hindi niya gamay, Siguro dapat mas mag-iingat din pati yung mga hindi din qualified no non non medical professionals na magreseta or magrecommend. Mm-hmm. And in the end who will uh, have the accountability over this, 'di ba? Kasi nag-promote lang sila eh. They can always say na well that, that that there were risks for instance, right? Well, anyway, thank you very much, Dr. Uh, Anna Ong Lim, for joining us this morning, for explaining all these things about ivermectin. I hope the people are listening, including the politicians aggressively promoting this. Thank you, doctor. Thank you. The Philippine Foreign Affairs Department files another diplomatic protest against China over the presence of its ships uh, at the Julian Felipe Reef. On Twitter, Manila's top diplomat, Chidoro Loxin Jr., says he will fire diplomatic protests every day until the last Chinese ship leaves. He adds the boats should be gone by now if they were really fishing in the reef, as claimed by China's embassy here in Manila. Former Foreign Secretary Albert Del Rosario suggests Loxin should file a protest before the United Nations if the vessels refuse to leave. Dozens of Chinese ships remain at Julian Philippe Reef, which is within the Philippines' exclusive economic zone. Meanwhile, the United United States says it is greatly concerned over China's ongoing efforts to intimidate its neighbors. China sent more fighter jets into Taiwan's air defense zone on Wednesday in a stepped-up show force around the island that Beijing claims as its own. Taiwan has said it would fight to the end if China attacks. The U.S. says it fully supports Taiwan in upholding its democracy and will help ensure its defense from Chinese threats. You know, joined by Professor uh, Jay Batong Bakal. He's the director of the uh, UP Institute for Maritime Affairs and Law of the Sea. Good morning, Attorney Jay, and thank you for joining us again on the program. Uh, good morning, Christian, and to all our viewers, uh, good morning. Okay, let's talk about the situation at the Julian Felipe Reef, which is uh, uh, contained or located well within the exclusive economic zone of the Philippines. Recently, you wrote a paper warning that this could be President Rodrigo Duterte's Scarborough Shoal. What exactly did you mean by that? Let's explain this to the public. Well, basically, the uh, situation no, uh, has a lot of parallels with what happened with uh, Mr. Reef and Scarborough Shoal. You had an initial activity, which was uh, Chinese fishermen uh, coming in, uh, conducting uh, various activities uh, on that uh, reef. And then they are, uh, this is uh, followed uh, by or accompanied by the exclusion of Filipino fishermen from that area. And then they eventually tighten that uh, grip on that shoal and we end up losing control of the reef. No? In the case of Mischief Reef, uh, it was uh, 
uh, underscored by the establishment of initially what were just uh, huts that they called fishermen's shelters, but now it has turned into a massive artificial island. While on Scarborough Shoal, uh, what has happened, of course, is that our people are unable to uh, regain access to their fishing grounds inside uh, the shoal. And even government vessels have not been able to approach uh, that area. So okay. that um, that might happen again, uh, this time with respect to Whitson Reef. And I believe that that's why uh, the government was very concerned when they saw these, uh, this massive fleet uh, just anchored uh, at the reef. Now, going by the lessons or the experience in 2012 at the Scarborough Shoal, uh, what should the Philippines do now? Because you know that after that incident in 2012, the Philippines filed a, uh, a case before the Permanent Court of Arbitration, and we won that in 2016. But right now, seeing what's happening now at Whitson Reef, and based on the lessons in 2012, how should the government approach this now? Well, right now, there is still an opportunity, a chance for a different outcome because um, as because the government acted uh, early uh, enough this time, uh, immediately upon sighting these, uh, these massive uh, numbers of uh, Chinese vessels, at least it cast a light on what was going on. And as we've seen, no, after, uh, after that uh, attention, no, uh, the vessels have dispersed and their numbers have been uh, reduced at the very least. No? So there is still at least a chance that uh, all of the vessels uh, can leave uh, this uh, reef. So the government's reaction the... of uh, filing protests is uh, the correct move. And right now, its uh, announced decision to file a protest every day as well is also consistent with that. Uh, what remains really is the constant um, surveillance of that area, on, on that area so that we can know uh, whatever activity they are uh, undertaking there uh, if they do not leave. No? And the constant... Um, um, interaction with China, asking them to leave is another is is also necessary until they fully disperse and leave our exclusive economic zone. Should they also send uh, certain uh, naval assets uh, in the area? I think that at this point, naval assets are not yet necessary, given that you have uh, a reduction in their presence already, uh, and we have been able to send at least our coast guard uh, to the, to that area. Um, we have not seen, we have not cited uh, any um, China Coast Guard or PLA Navy vessels yet uh, accompanying these vessels. So there would be no need yet for a more uh, robust presence. No? Uh, but nonetheless, the surveillance flights are necessary so that we can continue to monitor whether the, uh, these vessels really are uh, dispersing and leaving uh, our exclusive economic zone. Now, let's talk about the importance of uh, making sure that the, that, the, that the Chinese won't seize control of the Whitson Reef or of the Julian Felipe Reef. How important is this for the Philippines? Well, it's very important because after all, the Whitson Reef is part of our exclusive economic zone and it is also more or less in the middle of uh, the uh, Spratly Island group in that area. So it's a rather strategic uh, location. It is uh, just south of uh, south southeast of uh, Pagasa Island and below our string of uh, uh, island outposts in in that uh, region. No? Um, it is a very strategic area for the Chinese, especially when you consider that it is also in the center, more or less, of this triangle of uh, large military bases that they have constructed. 
mm-hmm. and uh, around this area, this around its own reef itself, no, uh, you have several smaller uh, Chinese artificial islands that that host their uh, radars and surveillance and and other uh, equipment, no? um, which would be protected by those three large uh, bases. Uh, it could be an ideal place actually for some kind of uh, headquarters uh, to control uh, all of these uh, military bases that they have in that area. And then with Sunrit okay. itself, no, if they uh, were to take it and gain uh, control and occupy that area, they would therefore uh, also gain control of the entire uh, Union banks of which with Sunrit is a part. No? They already have mm. four artificial islands on Union banks. Uh, one in Johnson South Reef and another in McKinnon Reef, and Whitson Reef is the last piece of that uh, that puzzle, uh, shall we say, no? By which they will be able to control a large area again uh, of uh, um, of the sea, and that would uh, be equivalent to the loss of a large portion of our EEZ again. Mm. And this also explains probably, or most likely, why the other players are very much concerned about this. We hear a lot of uh, more, more countries speaking out very strongly against what the Chinese vessels are are, are doing there uh, near Whitson Reef, right? Yes, yes, because uh, all the other countries have also been observing how China has been making gains in the South China Sea and in the West Philippine Sea. And they're very much aware that China does use its fishermen and its maritime militia to eat away you know, uh, at the exclusive economic zones and continental shelves of the surrounding Southeast Asian states. We've already seen it happen. Uh, they've tried this tactic uh, in several other places. Well, aside from Mischief Reef and Scarborough Shoal, uh, they've, for example, uh, taken more or less continuous uh, um, um, presence, in, um, established a continuous presence over James Shoal uh, on the Malaysian side. You know, and James Shoal is a completely underwater feature. And yet they are now, they're now there continuously and, and they're presenting it as this, their southern border. Uh, and mm-hmm. they've also been uh, trying this uh, tactic uh, elsewhere. No? So the fact that uh, it's been done before has already uh, led the international community to fully support the Philippines in its move to try to prevent that from happening again. Okay. Now, the option of going to the United Nations, is that uh, a good option at this time? And if I may add, let's also talk about how Vietnam has been dealing with uh, a similar with similar actions by China, and what can be drawn from from that particular experience by Vietnam? Well, with respect to the UN, uh, I think all diplomatic options are open. Uh, It only remains for the government to make sure that a particular action, such as going to the UN, achieves a particular purpose. So it's not, um, uh, most people assume, might assume, because most people might assume that just by going to the UN and filing a protest there, uh, something will immediately happen, or that means that the UN will take action. It's not that simple. no. So uh, doing so, uh, making uh, such a protest in the UN might be for a different purpose, such as calling the attention of the UN members to what is happening and adding more leverage, no? diplomatic leverage to our position. Uh, with respect to Vietnam, uh, Vietnam deals with uh, Chinese incursions very differently. No? They've reached the point where you have Vietnamese ships uh, often engaging in, in dangerous maneuvers against Chinese uh, vessels, no? and there have been collisions. No? Uh, and they've had uh, instances where it's almost like a, a uh, an unarmed battle between Vietnamese ships and Chinese ships no? banging against each other. 
and there have been uh, incidents where Vietnamese vessels have sunk because of that. Um, so I think that uh, Vietnam, when it comes to the presence of uh, Chinese vessels, especially in in waters on in the Gulf of Tonkin, no, uh, they react very differently. They really send their own uh, contingent of Vietnamese uh, fishing vessels to literally confront the Chinese uh, fishing vessels. Okay, Professor Jay Batongbakal, thank you very much for joining us on the program, sir. Welcome, Christian, and good morning to all. And that's our show for today. I'm Christian Esguera. You can listen to our interviews again on the ANC Matters of Fact podcast, available on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. You can also get all the exclusive content on ANC's YouTube channel. Thank you for watching.